Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The Whiskey Mistress. And it's a show. She knows about whiskey and stuff. You know. Hi, this is Debbie Shocare on Believe in the Whiskey Mistress on the Believe Podcast Network. The number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? There are four major steps in producing whiskey. Mashing, fermenting, distilling, and aging. The first step is mashing. Now, to produce alcohol, the actual process of fermentation, that requires sugar. And remember, whiskey is made from grain. Grains are starches, not sugars. There has to be some way to convert those grain starches to fermentable grain sugars, or you'll never get fermentation, you'll never get alcohol, and you'll certainly never get whiskey. And this is the first step, mashing. To convert the starches to sugar, they use something called barley malt. Now, I grew up thinking malt was another kind of grain thanks to one of my favorite childhood nursery rhymes. This is the house that Jack built. This is the malt that lay in the house that Jack built. This is the rat that ate the malt that lay in the house that Jack built. This is the cat that killed the rat that ate the malt that lay in the house that Jack built. This is the dog that worried the cat that killed the rat that ate the malt that lay in the house that Jack Okay, you get it. It sounds like that malt is a bag of some sort of grain. But really, malt is just barley that's been allowed to sprout. And once it has just germinated, there are enzymes in that tiny seedling, amylase specifically, that can actually convert grain starches to fermentable grain sugars. So the whiskey makers allow the barley to malt, and then they dry it, and they grind it up. And in the meantime, they take all the other grains they plan to use, and they put them in a big vat, and they fill it with water, and they heat it up. They start to just cook it. And you know how when you cook oatmeal, the starches leach out into the water, and it gets all thick and goopy? Well, that happens with these grains, too. The starches leach out into the water. It gets all thick and goopy. And when that happens, they add the dried ground barley malt. The enzymes in the malt take over and convert all those starches in the water to fermentable sugars. Okay, I'm going to get just a teensy bit technical here. Stay with me. Amylase digests starches by catalyzing hydrolysis, which is splitting by the addition of a water molecule. So the starch plus water becomes maltose, which is equivalent to two joined glucose molecules. Interestingly, body temperature is the optimal point for the best amylase reaction. Now we also have amylase in our saliva. Eat a plain saltine cracker. Notice that as you chew it, it starts to taste kind of sweet. Well, that's the amylase in your saliva working on the starches in the cracker. So mashing, the first of the four major steps in the production of whiskey, involves two elements of whiskey, grain and water. This mashing process 
produces a multi-liquid called wort, W-O-R-T. The word itself, mashing, probably comes from the Old English term masks, meaning soft mixture, and the Old English verb maskan, which means to mix with hot water. Hmm. And now you know. Interested in advertising on this show? Please contact Believe at Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V dot com. It's time for the Whiskey News with Debbie Showcare. Today's Whiskey News comes to us courtesy of one of my good friends who sent me this tidbit. Thanks, Jeff. Um, Pendleton, Oregon, there's a little... There's a little historic in there called Pendleton House, and it was it's currently owned by a couple who purchased it about six years ago, but it was originally built in 1917 by a Lowell and Minnie Rogers. So in 2016, the, the couple who owns it now, and it's gone through several transitions before it landed in their lap, but in 2016, the couple who owns it were renovating one of the bedrooms. And they found three bottles of whiskey stashed inside the wall. They were wrapped in a newspaper dated 1930. Can you imagine the excitement of finding a bottle of whiskey that dates back to Prohibition? That must have been really amazing. It was, uh, let's see, it was Teacher's Highland Cream Blended Scotch Whiskey. But that's not where the story ends. Because where, where I picked this up was that... In late January, I mean, just a few weeks ago, they found 10 more different whiskey bottles. These ones were wrapped in a burlap sack and they were hidden under tiles in the attic. They were pint bottles of 100 proof Comet brand bottled in bond whiskey. The label said it was made in Kentucky in 1913 and bottled in 1918. And I I guess, as I understand it, not all of the bottles were intact. A few of them were cracked. Um, One of them had some sediment in it, but some actually held whiskey. And this, it begs the question, doesn't it? Why these bottles were hidden away? Did the original owners, the original homeowners, putting away a time capsule for their descendants to enjoy later? I mean, this was an era of prohibition. Remember, prohibition ran from 1920 to 1933. So were the original homeowners hiding a stash of whiskey because prohibition was on the horizon? Or, I mean, the the bottles were found in the attic. Did Did they have workmen who were working up there and hiding some bottles to enjoy during their break? We really... We really just don't know what the answer is to that, and there isn't really anybody to ask, but I think it's fascinating. And the current owners of Pendleton House, which, again, it's a lovely bed and breakfast. You might want to look up their their website. It's a beautiful, beautiful location, according to everything I see on their site. Well, the owners now plan to open one of those Comet brand bottled-in-bond whiskey bottles this coming July 4th on the anniversary of Mr. Lowell Rogers' passing. They say they're going to save the other bottles to keep inside the historic home as memorabilia. My hat's off to them because I got to tell you, I'm not sure I would have enough fortitude to do that. I probably would call together my nearest and dearest and um, and enjoy them uh, forthwith. <laughs> 
But this is where, um, I guess this whiskey news segment kind of segues into a whiskey story because it, it got me to wondering about Comet Whiskey. I've certainly not heard of it, and I'm guessing you probably haven't either. So I did a little bit of, re no, I didn't do a little research. I didn't do a lot of research. I did like medium research. And what I was able to find about Comet Whiskey is that it was made by the Bernheim Brothers uh, Distilling Company. And I pulled up some information here. This is where it really turns into a story about how this whiskey came to be made. So picture it, 1848, Isaac Wolf Bernheim was born in Germany. He was the son of a merchant, and in 1867, Europe was in the grips of war, and Isaac decided to emigrate to the United States. He came to New York. His original plan was to take up uh, employment with his uncle's cotton and yarn mills, but the U.S. Civil War had sort of put a kibosh on that, so instead he ended up as a traveling salesman. And it says here that he was working his way through Pennsylvania, peddling small ladies' items. Was that for small ladies? I don't know. But it says small ladies' items, such as handkerchiefs, needles, and thread. And in 1868, Isaac did follow his uncle to Paducah. I like saying that, Paducah. And he took up a position as a bookkeeper and salesman in his uncle's firm, Livingston and Weil. But later that year, Isaac moved to the prominent liquor wholesalers, Loeb and Bloom, and he became their bookkeeper for $40 a month. Now think about it. I mean, we're talking 1868, $40 a month. That had to have been a pretty, pretty penny back then. And apparently it was enough that he was able to save money. And he brought his younger brother, Bernard Bernheim, over to America from Germany. Now we get to 1872. Isaac and Bernard established Bernheim Brothers, a liquor dealership. They had a silent partner, but they brought him out later on. And in 1879, they register the, you may recognize this brand, I.W. Harper brand. Now I and W were the initials of Isaac Wolf Bernheim. They took the surname Harper from the, uh, there was a famous horse breeder at the time, and Mr. F.B. Harper. I suppose uh, that the Bernheims, they decided that their own last name probably wouldn't be very marketable, so they borrowed Mr. Harper's name for the I.W. Harper brand, and it, that brand went on to win multiple awards. Um, and along through the years, they acquired an interest in the Pleasure Ridge Park Distillery near Louisville. Unfortunately, in 1896, the Pleasure Park Ridge Distillery was burned down. And what's interesting here is that it left them with a $1 million tax bill on the bonded whiskey that had been stored in those warehouses that had just burned down. And I, I, as I understand it, they went to court and the courts eventually sided with them. Can you imagine a million dollars in 1896, what that really means. That's a, that's a huge, huge number for the time. It's a huge number for me. Um, but the courts eventually sided with them and said, look, they, they never had the opportunity to sell the whiskey. We certainly can't tax them 
on products that they weren't able to sell. I'm really glad it worked out for the brothers in that way. Um, but time passed, and in 1906, the Bernheim Distilling Company also acquired Warwick Distillery. And then as we go a little further through time, we find out that from 1920 to 1933, now remember, those are the years of prohibition, both the Bernheim brothers and Warwick plants, distilleries, they were partially dismantled and the property was sold. But Bernheim Distilling Company, they operated as one of the very, very few medicinal whiskey distributors during prohibition. Isn't that something? And some of the brands that they actually made through the years were some cute ones. Let's see. Kentucky Reserve, Metropolitan, Old Complimentary, Old Continental, the whiskey your grandfather used, and of course, Comet, bottled in bond, which is what set me to looking into all this. But also, don't forget, I.W. Harper. And if that name sounds familiar, it's because you can find I.W. Harper on the shelves of your local Happy Juice store today. Now, I have to be fair and tell you it's not the same. The brand was resurrected, um, rebooted uh, a few years back by one of the big distilleries. But if you go to your local Happy Juice store and get yourself a bottle of I.W. Harper, then you can toast to the Bernheim brothers and their story in whiskeydom. I love looking into these things. I mean, it was a simple news story. Uh, some folks were renovating a home and found some bottles of old whiskey, but it led me to find out about this fascinating, circuitous path that these brothers from Germany took. And what they did is a part of distilling history and it built on on things that had come to that point and what they did we have built upon and now we have all these tasty beverages there it's just so exciting to learn these historical historical things about whiskey well it's exciting to me I hope it's exciting to you Two other things I'd like to touch on. I did promise you I would let you know what I thought about the Slow Hand Six Woods Cask Strength Whiskey as a hot toddy. I gotta tell you, it makes the absolute most delicious hot toddy I've ever had in my life. This being the season, I was uh, sort of battling a touch of a cold last week and indulged in a um, several actually, hot toddies that I made using that cask strength whiskey from Slowhand, uh, from, from Green Bar, the Slowhand Six Woods. And it, it was just phenomenal, absolutely amazing. So if you wanna try a hot toddy, I recommend you start right there. A hot toddy is two ounces of whiskey, one ounce of fresh squeezed lemon juice, probably, probably the juice from one average lemon, two tablespoons of good quality honey, then fill it up with hot water and give it a good stir. It'll make you feel better, believe me. Um, the third thing I wanted to touch on was my most favorite whiskey of all time. And that would be Wasmund's, W-A-S-M-U-N-D-S. 
Wasman's Single Malt from the Copper Fox Distillery in Sperryville, Virginia. It's been my most all-time favorite for a number of years now. It is a sentimental favorite for several reasons, uh, one of which is Rick Wasman was the first distiller to grant me an interview, and he, um, he was very kind and told me all about how he came to be the distiller there at the Copper Fox. And it, it, it turns out that Rick Wasman, of course, he's always loved whiskey. Most craft distillers do. He interned at the Beaumont Scotch Distillery. And he learned how they floor malt the barley and then how they, they smoke it with the peat. And he came back to America with a dream of making a uniquely American single malt. And he's done it. Now, this was back at the dawn of American craft distilling, right at the very leading edge of that wave, um, close to 20 years now. The barley he uses was developed for him by Virginia Tech, and he floor malts it just like they do in Scotland, but then he smokes it with American apple and cherry woods. And let me tell you, this is a real beauty. On the nose, it's, it's smoky, it's earthy, it's like a forest floor. And the, the flavor is okay, but the finish, that finish will knock your socks off. It's literally 10 minutes of smoky and then sweet and smoky and sweet. And everybody I've had the privilege of sharing Wasman's single malt with, we end up talking about it for 10 or 15 minutes because it is that interesting. There is that much to say about it. There is that much to experience. And if you've read any of my columns or, or my reviews, you know that if there's one thing I enjoy, it's an interesting whiskey. So do yourself a favor and look it up. Um, for a while he had discontinued his West Coast distribution because there was so much demand for it on the East Coast, but I believe that's changed. He's been able to ramp up his production. And you can, of course, find Wasman's Single Malt online, but if you go on their website, they're the Copper Fox Distillery, uh, you might be able to find that there's a Happy Juice retailer near you. And uh, go out and get a bottle try it and please let me know what you think um i'd love to hear from you and that's that's not just whiskey news this week that's whiskey news whiskey stories whiskey opinions that's whiskey 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 <laughs> i hope you're looking forward to your own perfect whiskey weekend plans now if you're enjoying this show please subscribe rate the show five stars on itunes we're available on your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com, that's B-L-E-A-V.com, and at Believe Podcasts. You can also follow me, the Whiskey Mistress, on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Get on down and drink some whiskey, y'all! <laughs> All those amazing sound bites, bumps, and music, well, those are provided to me courtesy of the amazingly talented rock band Hurricane Sugar. You can find them on Instagram at, at HurricaneSugarLA or on the internet at HurricaneSugar.com. Thanks, fellas. Thanks for listening. Join me next week on Believe in the Whiskey Mistress right here on the Believe Podcast Network. The Whiskey Mistress and it's a
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.